Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Say, I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. Well, you may be seated. Open your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 12. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Say, I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. Now say it like you believe it. I am an overcomer. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. As we said before, when you look at the book of Revelation, the main theme is the revelation or the revealing or the manifestation of Jesus. But one of the things you see as you read chapter 1, the book of Revelation deals with the past, the then present, and the future. So the passage we're looking at right now is talks about things that happened and things that are going to happen. So it says, and the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him, the enemy, Satan, the deceiver. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. As we said last week, the word deceive means to get someone to believe something that is not true. Deceive means to get someone to believe something that is not true. We covered this next one a lot last week. The accuser is one who charges with an offense, crime, or sin. An accuser is the one who charges with an offense, crime, or sin. And if you missed, missed last week's message, make sure you go and listen to that. In John 8, Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of lies. So Satan does three things. He deceives, he accuses, and he lies. He deceives, he accuses, and he lies. You are to overcome him and the words that come out of his mouth. Because if you do not, he will use that deception, accusation, and lie to label and limit you. Last week, we said to hell with hell's labels. This week, we will examine the deception. Within the deception, there is hidden one of the enemy's greatest tactics to keep believers from living as overcomers. So let's overcome that tactic today. Go to John chapter 10, verse 10. John 10, verse 10. Let's uncover one of his tactics that's cloaked in his deception today. John 10, verse 10. The thief, who's the enemy? Satan, the deceiver. Comes not but for to steal and to kill 
and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus makes it very clear. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But why in religion and in the world do we say, well, God sent that destruction. God sent that tornado. God gave that person cancer. God did it. God took him. He needed another flower in heaven. God did it. God did it. God did it. When Jesus made it very clear. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But don't forget there is a thief out there. And he comes to steal, comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. Part of Satan's deception is to get you to believe that God did what he did. Because if you believe that God did what Satan did, you won't have faith in God. You won't believe that he's good. People, you can say, church, oh, God is good all the time, but you really don't believe it because you think God did what Satan did. So now you can't have faith in the goodness of God. You can't have faith in the love of God. And you don't know if I can really pray for this because if I say something wrong, God might zap me. You have this mentality that God's out to get me. But as we talked about last week, if you're a believer, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We said righteousness is a term which means acquittal. So what does God have to say about you? Not guilty. You might say, but I messed up. God says, not guilty. He says, but you don't know how many years I was doing something wrong. God says, not guilty. The blood of Jesus says, not guilty. And Jesus, as your advocate, says, judge, they're not guilty. So you have to begin to believe what the word says about you. And stop walking around with a chip on your shoulder because you did something bad, wrong, horrible, whatever it is, whatever sin, whatever crime, whatever offense. Stop carrying that around. God says he'll forget it and forgive you. It's time for you to start thinking like him. If God doesn't remember it, don't you remember it. If God doesn't bring it up, don't you bring it up. Saul was a terrorist, jailing and killing Christians. After he got saved, after he got born again, Jesus never brought up his past. Never. Paul would talk about it. Jesus never did. After he said, who are you, Lord? He says, here's what I need you to do. Go down there. A guy named Ananias will come to you, lay hands on you, and tell you what you need to do. Jesus never talked to him about his past. See, y'all so concerned about your past, and Jesus said it's already handled. Let me take it a little bit further. Sin is a non-issue with God. Some of y'all look at me with religious eyes. Sin is a non-issue with God. Why? He already dealt with it. And after you believe and receive the finished work of Jesus, your past is done away with. God's not going to bring it up. He's not going to hold it over your head. Jesus came to be the propitiation for the entire world, First John tells us. That means he's the atoning sacrifice, meaning he took the punishment of every sin. Why would God punish two people? God doesn't send people to hell. People go to hell all the time, but God doesn't send them. 
God sent one man to hell, and his name is Jesus. He sent him so you don't have to go. Now, people still go to hell for one thing, rejecting Jesus. Not making a decision for him is the same as rejecting him. There is a difference between grace and inclusionism. In grace, you have to believe and receive and make a decision to follow Jesus. And inclusionism says that everybody's already saved, and that's heresy. I don't care if you watch a movie on Netflix. It's still heresy. You must believe. You must receive. And then you need to live like it. We said holiness should be our conduct, even though righteousness is our standing. We have to raise our conduct to the level of our standing. Now, the thing is, you get born again, you are not going to be living holy the next day. Do you know how I know that? You don't even know what holy is. You have some things in your mind, okay, well, I probably shouldn't cuss that person out anymore. I probably shouldn't give someone the finger when I'm driving out 285. So you have a few ideas, but you don't know everything yet. Why? You haven't grown up in the Word. You are a baby Christian, and you're going to mess up your spiritual diapers. But the blood of Jesus has power to deal with every past sin, every present sin, and every future sin. So as you grow with God, the blood has already handled every sin. So when you mess up, you judge yourself. So, God, I missed it. I'm wrong. I asked for forgiveness and your cleansing. And you said you're faithful and just to do it, so I receive it. It's handled. Move on. You're not supposed to, well, grace means I can sin whenever I want to. That's not what it means. Grace is a gift. You don't keep sinning just because God will forgive you. Although grace abounds and sin, because sin abounds, Paul says, God forbid. You stop sinning not because you think God's about to zap you, but because you love God. And then I began to understand that every time I sin or create some type of offense, I'm hurting my father's heart. I don't want to hurt my father's heart because I love him. I love him because he first loved me, so I'm going to live right because I love him, not because I owe him. When you operate out of love instead of out of debt, you will walk in love with your fellow man. But if you operate from the perspective of debt, you're going to judge people and look down on people like, well, I, at least I don't sin like you. It's still sin. Stop saying, well, that's a big sin. That's a small sin. It's still sin. Jesus said, take the telephone pole out of your eye. Then you can help someone get the splinter out of theirs. Now, that doesn't mean we don't believe in the Word of God. The Word of God tells us how to live. We're supposed to live that way. But that should affect how you see others. So you begin to show others the same grace God showed you. You show others the same mercy God showed you. And then you do what the Bible says, bear with one another. Do you know what that word bear means? Put up with one another. You need to put up with people because somebody put up with you. So, well, I don't know who put up with me. Jesus is still putting up with you. You know, people, I saw this, something recently, they said, you know, people talk about they don't want to go to church because they've been hurt by church, and church hurt is real, I understand it. But there's one person who's been hurt by the church more than anyone else. His name is Jesus. And he still shows up every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time we gather. So if Jesus can get over church hurt, so can we. Because I'm sure there's some days he's like, I do not want to go in there. 
They have done lost their minds. But he's faithful. So we should mirror his faithfulness. We should mirror his love. We should mirror his grace. We should mirror his mercy. Why? We're trying to live just like him. We sang a song last week, God filled me to a point where they just see you. Living for your glory. Living for your name. We want people to see Jesus when they see us. So we have to understand there's a thief, but there's a savior. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what does he come to steal? Because a lot of times, yeah, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But that's not what he does. It says steal first. So what does he come to steal? Oh, he's coming to steal my money. He's coming to steal my health. He's coming to steal my peace. Well, eventually. But that's not why he comes first. Go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. You guys there? And he, Jesus, began to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground, where it had much not earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and choked it, and it yielded no fruit." So what just happened? What just happened? Jesus goes on to explain that parable. He says, tell us, well, Satan has five tactics. Affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. Affliction and persecution in the parable is like the sun coming and scorching away the production of the seed. And that seed is the word of God, Jesus says. But there's also other seeds in Mark chapter 4. There's the seeds of the cares of this world, the, deceit, the seeds of deceitfulness of riches, which means being lied to and believing lies about money. And there's the seed of lust of other things. So although God is trying to sow the word, Satan is trying to sow things as well. And cares of this world is defined as worry, or anxiety with the idea of distraction. Worry or anxiety through the idea of distractions. So I held up a sign as I was reading that said, shout, I am an overcomer. And a few people did. Do you know why? They were paying attention. Do you know why the rest of y'all didn't? You were distracted. 
Within Satan's deception is distraction. You see, I don't even watch that many TV shows because all my, it is stacked up. I get behind. So there's two shows I watch all the time, but there's a third show that just started two weeks ago, and my wife knew I would like it, so I was in the room. She turned it on, and it's like, I think I'm really going to like this show. By the end of the show, I was hooked. It's only been two episodes, but the whole thing is about an illusionist who teams up with the FBI to solve crimes. And so in this last episode, they're trying to get this mafia person to confess. But they knew if they arrested him, he wasn't going to say nothing. So they had to make him think something was going on, that he was injected with this poison, that there's no cure. Now, the way they did it, they weren't going to inject him, but they had him on the stretcher rushing him in, and they made him feel like he was poisoned. They set up the wall and changed the lights and made him think that something bad was happening to him. And when the illusionist explained it later, he's called, he said it's called forced perspective. We forced you to look that way, and you missed what was going on the whole time. Satan will bring distractions so that you'll have a forced perspective. How do I know that? Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Today's message is called Force Perspective. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Because Jesus said in Mark 4 that those three areas, the cares of this world, the seafulness of riches, the lust of other things, will choke the production of the word. That word choke there means to crowd out. So cares of this world or Satan's distractions and his worry and his anxiety has the power to crowd out the word of God. You know what's interesting about this passage? And never saw this way until I was listening to Jeremy Pearson's preach about it. And he said, you know, growing up in the house of faith, we're taught the word is the answer for everything. How many of you have been a part of this church or one of our connected churches for over 10 years? And you've heard the word is the answer for everything. How many of you heard that at least about 1,005 times in one year? Right? Get the word. Listen to the word. Hear the word. Renew your mind by the word of God. Confess the word. Speak the word. Read the word out loud. You've heard it all the time in many different ways. But when you look at the parable of Mark chapter 4, there's four groups of people. Each of them would preach the word of God. But three out of four times, the word did not work. Three out of four times, the word ended up doing nothing. And one of those reasons, one of those three times, was the cares of this world. The worry, the anxiety, the distraction. That if you let the distraction in, the word will do you no good. Even though the word is full of power, full of life, full of anointing. But if you're distracted, it'll crowd out every word you received. Not just today, but in your lifetime. That's why it's possible for people to be faith giants one year. And a few years later, they looked like they were never saved in the first place. Spiritual growth is not linear. It can go either way on any day. 
In consistency, there's the key. What you do consistently, not what you did 15 years ago. What are you doing today? So on the same process of distraction, Jeremiah 17, 5, he says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, and whose heart departs from the Lord, meaning his heart was first with the Lord. For he shall be like a heath in the desert, shall not see, say so he shall not see, when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreads out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh, say, shall not see. But her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now, we've preached this passage before, talking about it's important where you put your trust. But it's also important where you look. Because it says the person who's trusting in his flesh is going to be living in a place of lack, and he won't see when good comes. That doesn't mean good is not coming. That means good is coming, but he can't see it because he's looking in the wrong place. What is that? Distraction. Forced perspective. Satan will use cares of this world to distract you. He'll hit you with affliction, which is pressure brought by circumstance, persecution, which is pressure brought by people. Keep hitting you and hitting you and hitting you and hitting you to make you look this way. Because God is doing something amazing over here, but he doesn't want you to see it because if you can't see it, you can't get it. So he'll make you keep looking over here and make you go, oh, my life is horrible. Nothing good is happening for me. God, I thought you were for me. I thought you cared about me. I thought you were a good God. What's going on? Don't you see everything that's going on? God says, but don't you look and see over here. Everything Satan is doing in his deception is to force your perspective. To only look at the wrong, only look at the bad. So you can't see that God has already worked out your deliverance. That God has already worked out your salvation. That God has already worked out your healing. God has already worked out your prosperity. God's already worked out your breakthrough. But you're looking in the wrong place because you're distracted. And as long as you keep looking this way and being distracted, the word will do you no So go to Matthew 6. Distracted. We live in the age of distraction. They want to talk about millennials by being distracted. But it's every generation that's alive on this planet that's distracted. Because there's so many things going on. So many things trying to grab our attention. So many things that's trying to get us to look. That you can see marketing things for years and never even realize it was there. Because there's so much going on. We're distracted. And see, the thing is, distraction can be deadly. How do I know that? You're driving down the road. You get a text message. Now, while you're driving down the road, the most important thing you should be doing is driving paying attention to the road. But that text came. Oh, it's fine. Boom. Why did you crash? You were distracted. Have you crashed in your life because you've been? Matthew 6, verse 25. Notice what Jesus says. 
Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought. This phrase is also defined as do not be anxious. Do not be full of care. Do not worry. What is it saying don't worry about? Your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what clothes you're going to put on. For is your life more than food and your body more than clothes? Behold the fowls of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you better than some birds? Which of you, by taking thought or by worrying, can add one cube into a stature? How many of you can stress out and worry and grow taller? And why are you worried about your clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the, gr the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Some of you who want a new wardrobe, anybody wants a new wardrobe in here, new clothes? No one wants new clothes for the spring and the summer? Okay, there's a few people, okay. That's the scripture you stand on. Some of you missed it. Do you guys want me to explain that just a little bit longer? <laughs> just a little bit longer? All right. Jesus said that if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow isn't, will he not much more clothe you or ye of little faith? You can have a brand new wardrobe with a little bit of faith. He didn't say a lot of faith. A little bit. So what do you do with that little bit of faith? Father, Jesus said that you will clothe me better than Solomon. So I believe what Jesus said. Now angels, go get my clothes. Bring it in. Father, give me the wisdom to know where to go. And if there's anything you want me to sow, I'll sow it, because this is the harvest I'm about to get. And that's what you do. And from then on, you're looking for it. Now, someone could come up to your house and drop you off a new wardrobe. That'd be great. But that's not always how it happens. You'll be out shopping, and all of a sudden, the item that you like the best is on sale only in your size. <laughs> Every other size is expensive, but your size is discounted. Don't ask questions. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, oh, that would be great if that happens to me. All the time. Some of you have been here long enough to remember that. That happens to me. I remember a couple of Thanksgivings ago, I needed a certain type of jacket. So my wife went shopping. It was about Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And, you know, there's sales that were going to go on Wednesday, but there's going to be a better sale on Friday. So she went to give the jacket and was about to check out. And the person at the register said, you know, this jacket is going on sale for, on tomorrow, but it's going to drop even further on Friday. But I'm going to give you the sale now. She didn't know that. The person didn't have to tell. But the favor of God is working for me. There's so many things. Like, there's even places I've lived, apartments I've lived in. They've upgraded it, renovated it. But they never told the computer that they did. And so we'd walk in, and they says, wait, you know, there's a renovated apartment? But it's hundreds of dollars less than it should be. We guess it's for you. You guess right. 
There's another place where we live. We came back from a conference, and we're looking at this place, and we're staying in the same complex, but there was a room that my wife really loved. There was a certain apartment she really loved, but it was more expensive than what, the one we already had, and we're like, we're not going to pay more for it. But I just happened to be scrolling on Instagram one day, and it said, the sale was going on, and I said, there's no place here that fits in there. So we went and checked it out, and guess which one was on sale? The one the first lady wanted. So we moved into a bigger place and paid less. God will do it for you, too. Just work your faith and look for it. God's faithful. He does it all the time. So let's say it. That happens to me. So he says, take no thought. Don't be worried saying what are we going to eat, what are we going to drink, what are we going to wear. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, meaning all the people who don't have a covenant with God, this is what they're after all the time. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek what? First. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Which lets me know if you start thinking about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, what I'm going to wear, you are distracted. And he won't seek first the kingdom of God. But God says if you do my way first, I'm going to give you all those things anyways. God doesn't care about you wearing nice stuff. He wants you to wear nice stuff. Do you really think you're going to get to heaven and wear rags? The first time you experience heaven shouldn't be when you get there. You should experience it now. Faith can bring heaven to earth and your life. You just got to use your faith. So Jesus says, don't be worried. Then he goes on and says, don't be worried about tomorrow, for tomorrow is going to worry about other things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil or the trouble thereof. So stop worrying about stuff that hasn't even happened yet. Some people stay up all night worrying about stuff that may never even happen. Oh, what if someone doesn't like me tomorrow? Dude, it's not even tomorrow, and it's not even a specific person. So you're worrying about things that may never happen. And you're staying up all night worrying when God said through the psalmist, that he gives his beloved sleep. He says, don't stay up late eating the bread of sorrows because he gives his beloved sleep. God's going to be up all night, so you better go to sleep. Look, God, I'm human. I got to go to sleep. I believe you, so I need you to take care of this. Good night. Because you stressing will get in God's way. So sometimes maybe the only time God can get something done is when you sleep. Because while you're awake, you're talking and whining and complaining and stressing and worrying, and God just needs to treat you like Adam, like go to sleep. So you need to start talking about faith. Like, you know what? I'm looking forward that when I wake up, I'm going to hear a report about something amazing God did. I'm going to hear something amazing the angels went and did for me while I slept. So while y'all enjoy your after church nap, just believe that by the time I wake up, God's going to do something amazing for me. Go to sleep in faith, wake up in faith, stay in faith. 
Live in faith. Always an expectation of the goodness of God. Always an expectation that God's going to do something for me. That God is going to surprise me with his goodness. Goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. So start looking for it. Because if you're not looking for it because you're distracted, you won't get it. So you got to start looking for these things. Start looking for breakthroughs. Start looking for miracles. Why? He's good and he's good all the time. So don't be anxious. Do not worry. Do not be full of care. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for what? Nothing. Nothing. So don't be full of care. Don't you worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So instead of stressing, right in the middle of the thing you are being tempted to worry about, because it will be a temptation to worry. It'll be a temptation to stress. Why? Satan's going to send those thoughts to distract you. So when the thoughts of distraction about anxiety come your way, stop right there and say, Father, you see this situation. You see what's going on. Now your word says, I say, well, Pastor, why do you keep saying go to the word? First John says, this is the confidence we have in him, that we ask anything according to his will, we receive because we know he hears us. Right? First John 5, 14 and 15 summed up. His word is his will. So you pray based on the will of God, because if you pray based on the will of God, which is the word of God, you're going to get from God exactly what you ask for. So he said, Father, you said in your word this, that, and the other. I believe that, so I'm not going to stress out. I receive that, and I thank you for it, because it's with thanksgiving. Because after someone gives you something, it's just polite to say thank you. Mark 11, 24 says, you must believe you receive when you pray. The word receive means to take it. So when you pray, you are taking it. So that means by the time you say amen in your heart and in your mind, you must think, I got it. You might be praying for a car. It's not going to show up in your bedroom. If it did, that wouldn't be a blessing. That would be a problem because you wouldn't know how to get it out. But you receive it by faith, and now you start looking for it. You start looking, maybe that's the one, maybe that's the one, maybe that's the one, maybe that's the one. And you'll think about all these different ways that God will bless you, and he'll bless you another way. But you take it when you pray, and you tell him thank you because you count it's already done. And what's the result? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if you're worrying, if you're stressing, if you're anxious, you are not in peace. You are distracted and you have lost your peace. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So Satan wants to get you distracted so you lose your peace. He wants to fill your mind with thoughts of worry, anxiety, and care so you lose your peace. And you're not focused on God anymore. 
because you're distracted. So Paul says in verse 8 of Philippians 4, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And if I'm thinking on these things, that means I'm keeping my focus on Jesus. And if I keep thinking like this, focusing on Jesus, and in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, making my request known to God, I'll be in perfect peace. If you're in perfect peace, it doesn't matter what happens around you, Satan can't move you. So we think about cares and worries and anxiety, and not every care is bad. Not every care is wrong. How do I know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking about all the stuff he went through. You might think you went through something, but Paul went through a lot of somethings. He defines all the different things. He talked about five different times he was whipped to the inch of his life three different times. He was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned and left for dead, but got back up again. There's all these things he went through. He says, everywhere I go, I'm in danger. I go to church, I'm in danger because there's fake Christians. I go outside, I'm in danger because there's fake Jews. I go into the world and there's haters. Everywhere I go, I'm in danger. He is listing what's going on. But when you get to verse 28 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he says, beside all those things that are without, if that wasn't enough, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So Paul should be concerned and think about the churches he started. He should have them in his heart. He should have them and pray for them every day. But notice what the enemy tried to do. When the affliction and the persecution couldn't stop Paul, that's the pressure from circumstance, and that's the pressure from people, he sent the cares of the churches. Because you read through Paul's letters, some churches were doing great, and some churches were problem churches. The Corinthians were a problem church. If I ever do a series, I'm thinking about calling it Church Gone Wild. Because they did so many different things that Paul's having to correct. A lot of, when you read 1 Corinthians, the first six chapters... First five chapters is correction. He doesn't start answering the questions to chapter six and chapter seven. They said, we have these questions, but he said, before I'm giving you answers, let me spend some time correcting y'all. And so he's thinking about them all the time. But Satan wants to twist his love for them into a worry and a care. So Satan's like, I can't stop Paul with anxiety I can't stop with persecution and affliction, but I'm going to make him be anxious and worried about what he's done right. But not every care is wrong. You should be concerned about that, but you shouldn't stress about that. You should be concerned about your children, but you shouldn't stress over your children. You should be concerned about your finances and pay attention to it, but you're not supposed to worry about it. There's a fine line. What is your reaction when you start thinking about it? Is your heart racing? You start sweating? You're not in faith. You're stressing. You have to get to a place where I can think about it and trust God with it. Father, everything in prayer and supplication, here's what your word says about the situation. I believe it. I receive it. I thank you for it. Every time you're tempted to stress, Father, I thank you that you've already made a way. I thank you that you're bringing me out of the situation. I'm not going to let Satan steal my perspective. I'm not going to make him force me to look that way. I choose to look at you and your word, and I know that you are faithful. You have to take control of your perspective. 
Because if you don't, Satan will force you to look another direction. Luke chapter 10. Not every care is wrong. Some care or concern starts in the right place. But the enemy will love to twist it. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Very familiar story, but I want you to see it a different way. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass, as they went, they entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now I want you to imagine the situation. Mary and Martha and the brother Lazarus, they all lived in the same house. These are followers of Jesus. So the people who went into the house, besides Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus, Jesus' disciples, he had members of his other, outside of his apostles, other people who followed him. So these weren't sinners. These weren't skeptics. These weren't people just in the crowd. These were an inner circle, an inner group of people who were close to Jesus. And it was in a house setting. It wasn't to the crowds. It wasn't even in the synagogue. This is an intimate setting. Some of the best revelation doesn't just come from the pulpit. It comes in intimate settings. You know, I was thinking about when I was preparing this message, thinking about some of the greatest things I received from my mentors. And it didn't just come from the pulpit, even though I received a lot. It came from intimate settings, one-on-one. To me, when I was growing up in high school, and a couple years after that, when Bishop would take me at summers to travel with them, different places in the world, that is worth more to me than all of my school of ministry training put together. Because I would learn things as I traveled with them. He would teach me about different things. I still remember the summer of Dad Hayden's last camp meeting. He took me and Minister Dexter Sullivan. I've had him preach here before. We went. We got to meet Dad Hagen. We didn't know this was, he was about to go home two months later. And we're in this meeting, and afterwards, Bishop preached on faith from Genesis to Revelation. Every scripture on faith in the Bible in less than four days. He was flying. And so afterwards, me and Dexter and Pastor Deborah were going over our notes, and, hey, did you get this? Did you get that? And so when he would come back to the table when we were eating, he started teaching us just different practical things to look out for in ministry. Things that he wouldn't get a chance to cover in a message, but greater things he would explain in detail. But it was an intimate set. There's different things I think about other people who've taught me. I remember recently I was with Mark Hankins, and he pulled me aside and walked with him after he preached, and he says, here's the books, and here's the concordances I use. Here's something that you should get. Get that book. It'll help you. Here's how you can search for these things. He's teaching me these different things. It wasn't in the crowd. It wasn't even in school. It was an intimate setting. I remember right before I went on my first mission trip, I had the privilege to sit down with Rick Renner. Because, like, I'm about to go on a mission trip, so who better to ask than him? So I came, and he started teaching me, minister, prophesied over my life. Because here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to look for. It's going to be great. People like Claudio Frazon, the pastor of one of the largest churches in Argentina. We went to that trip to minister at his church. And he came about halfway through there. He went up to the group. There was about 19 of us, 20 of us on the first trip. And he just came to spend some time with us. He could have been doing many different things, running the largest church of our nation. But he came to spend some time with us. And as he talked with us, the presence of God entered the room. It just started sweeping through the room. People started falling out. We don't have assigned ushers. This is just an intimate setting. But the presence of God has taken over the place. These weren't in a crowd setting. It wasn't in sanctuaries, a big stadiums, arena. It was intimate setting. A revelation was going out. 
Imagine what type of revelation was going out as Jesus was in this intimate setting with his friends, his apostles, and his disciples. Imagine what was going on. Imagine what was being taught. Things that ears haven't heard, eyes haven't seen. Things that haven't entered in the heart of man. Or if they heard it before, they haven't heard it this way. Because you study throughout the ministry of Jesus, he would preach one thing to the crowds, but he gets an intimate setting and he'll break it down. That whole thing of the breakdown of Mark chapter 4 didn't happen in the crowd. It happened in an intimate setting. So imagine what's coming out of Jesus' mouth at this time. Verse 40. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. The New Living Translation says Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, when you look at that passage in different translations, it says Martha and Mary were sitting at the feet of Jesus. But Martha's looking around her home, all these people. Jesus preached a long time. They might be hungry. They need to eat. Someone should take care, should take care of them. Oh, I don't want them to think I'm a, a bad hostess. I need to get some food for them. I need to go prepare something for them. The thoughts start in the right place. I should be a hospitable person. But it got twisted because you think, well, people are going to think about me differently. And that the most important thing right now is for me to serve people food instead of hearing what Jesus is saying. It started in the right place, but easily it got twisted. She became to be concerned and worried and anxious. So he, she gets up from Jesus' feet, leaves, and starts preparing things for the people and serving the people. Two meals are being served that day, the one from Martha and the one from the words of Jesus. And so she's cumbered, she's burdened down, she's weighed down with much serving. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Another translation that Martha rushed back in the room, took a position over Jesus, and said, Jesus, don't you care about me? Now you tell my sister to come and help me. She interrupted the message. She interrupted Jesus' teaching. What eyes hadn't seen, what ears hadn't heard, what hadn't entered into the heart of man, precious truths from Jesus in an intimate setting. Because she's distracted. And what did Jesus say to her? Martha, Martha, you are worried and anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, who would take it away, Jesus? No. Remember, there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, destroy. Mark chapter 4 taught us that Satan comes to steal the word. Martha's word was stolen. But Jesus just guaranteed Mary would never lose what she got. Why? Because she chose the good part. Instead of being distracted, she stayed at the feet of Jesus. She received, and Martha lost. Now, do you know something else that's interesting about this passage? Luke wasn't there. This is a documentary. Luke did a series of interviews. He had to go around and ask people, okay, what happened this day? What happened this day? And as the Holy Ghost leads him, he's putting it into the narrative. 
So when he gets to this part, he probably met people who were there that day. He says, hey, what happened that day? Well, yeah, Jesus was teaching, and Martha and Mary were sitting there. It was Lazarus' house. Things were going great. All of a sudden, Martha jumped up, went out the room, and came back in and out the room. It was really loud. She was making a whole lot of noise. She was feeding people. And then, she, dude, dude, she came in, stood over Jesus, started telling Jesus what to do. So imagine, but Luke goes, but what did Jesus say? You know, I don't know. I was distracted. Distracted people distract people. And because people were distracted, we still don't have in the word of God what Jesus said. Distraction. It's dangerous. It's deadly. And it's a great tactic the enemy does in his deception to get you to miss from what God's doing in your life, from what God wants you to receive. Because if he can get you distracted and get you worried, he can steal the word from you. And after he can get your word, he can get your health, he can get your finances, he can get your peace, he can get everything else because he already took the word. First Peter chapter 5, we'll start with verse 6. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, lift you up in due time, casting all your care, all your worry, all your anxiety, all your stress upon him, for he cares for you. Cast your care upon him because you have a caretaker. And he always takes care of you in grand style. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, the thief, the, de- the deceiver, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. If there's whom he may devour, there's whom he can't devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions, that same pressure, are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So you're not the only one going through. That's one of Satan's distractions. It's only you. But notice the people who keep their care who stay in worry, who stay in anxiety, who stay stressing out, which is a form of pride. Because if you never give it to God, you're basically saying, I can handle it better than you. So the people who are worried, the people who are careful, the people who are stressed out, those are the ones Satan can devour. Those are the ones he can steal from. Those are the ones he can kill and destroy. He's coming. He can't come at you head on. He has to distract you first. He has to do a whole bunch of things to get your attention over here so you don't see what God's doing so you can miss it. That you can go through a whole year and say, I didn't see fullness. I didn't see overflow. I didn't see glory. I didn't see the manifestation of the Holy Ghost and fire. I guess this stuff doesn't work. No, it's working. You just looked in the wrong place. Because you had a forced perspective. And Satan in his deception made you believe one thing when the truth was over here. And you're distracted and all the word you received for years and decades disappears, crowded out to a point there's no evidence you ever received the word in the first place. Your life looks like everybody else. And you start saying, well, this faith stuff don't work. You read a crazy meme on Facebook and you believe that and it becomes your new doctrine. You turn to all pagan religions, false religions, saying, well, I don't have to go to church anymore. I can stay at home. I can get whatever I need at home because this church stuff don't work. It did. You just looked in the wrong place. He distracted you. 
and you fell for it. And everything that God did, you lost. The danger of distraction. The danger of a forced perspective. You have to take control of your thought life. Jesus said, take no thought. How do you don't take a thought? You don't say it. Because remember we said last week, Satan sent thoughts so you can say it. And then you start believing it into your label. So he sends thoughts, so you decide, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to think on what's good, pure, lovely, and all those things in Philippians 4.8. I'm going to think on the word of God. I'm going to say the word of God. I'm going to believe in the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'm going to expect to see his goodness. Instead of always talking about what I could be stressing about. You have more than opportunities to be stressed out. We all do. And the thing is, I had to learn how to handle this because even when I go on vacation, y'all still in my soul. So I could be thinking, ooh, how's that person doing? How's that person doing? Oh, no, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're going to do. That would be tactical to the enemy. Oh, no, Father, you're faithful. I believe you that you can come through in this situation for them. So you can either be stressed out and let Satan take you out, or you could be in faith. Trusting in God and looking in the right place and living as the overcomer God has called you to be. Stand to your feet. Praise God. Go ahead. Let's thank God for the word of God. Father, we thank you for the revelation of the word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Ghost who opens the word to us. So we can understand it and we can live it. Now, Father, help us live it and not lose it like Martha. Not lose it like three of the four groups in Mark chapter 4. Help this word produce in our lives. We have 30, 60, and 100-fold return off of the ministry of the word today. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.